Hello and welcome to the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. Before we begin, a quick announcement for UK listeners. I will be speaking next month at the Hell Tour Festival, which runs in Exeter between November the 8th and 10th, and has been put together by Ashley Thorpe of Carry On Films, the director of the film Borley Rectory, and guest on the podcast a couple of episodes ago, speaking about the relaunch of the Osborne Ghost Book. The festival is the first in Devon to put together a programme of folklore, folk horror and similar speakers, and the line-up is very special. As well as myself, previous guest Anna Howarth from Usborne will be talking more about the Ghosts book, actor Nicholas Vince will be discussing films in which he appears, including Hellraiser and Nightbreed, horror director Dominic Brunt discusses his work, and Mark Gatiss, known for The League of Gentlemen, Sherlock and many other things, will be talking about the Peter Cushing film version of The Hound of the Baskervilles, which follows directly from my talk on Demon Dogs. For more details, please like Hell Tour Festival on Facebook or check the website www.helltourfestival.com. The Folklore Podcast recently passed the three quarters of a million download milestone, which is phenomenal. I am pleased to be able to continue to share access to so many great people working with folklore in the way that we do. Please do share all of the episode links on your own social media, as this helps to bring in more listeners. And remember that the support of listeners on our Patreon page is the only thing that allows the podcast to continue to be made and to be freely available in the way that it is. From as little as a dollar a month, supporters get access to extra content, folklore audiobook part works, and text documents not available anywhere else on the podcast networks. So, if you enjoy this episode, please do consider signing up for a small monthly donation so that we can keep bringing you more content. The address is www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast. Thank you. On this episode of the podcast, we're going to be discussing Slavic witchcraft beliefs and practices with guest Natasha Helvin. Natasha describes herself as an occultist, hereditary witch and priestess in the Haitian voodoo tradition, as well as an avid scholar of other magical traditions. She learned the ancient Slavic secrets of magic and healing from her family, and, as a child, often saw her grandmother and mother use magic in their everyday lives to help neighbours and friends. Today, she shares some of her knowledge with you. Hi Natasha and welcome to the Folklore Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me Mark. Uh, It's a great pleasure, it's a great pleasure. Um, So today we're going to talk about uh, your work uh, and, and especially your book on Slavic witchcraft which was absolutely fascinating uh but before we get into the detail of that i wonder if you could just talk a little bit about your background because your biography is really interesting uh, and covers a lot of uh different areas so can you explain a little bit about um how you became interested in folklore and uh witchcraft and the environment that you grew up in well, my background, uh, I didn't actually become interested in it. I was raised by it. I was born into a family of witches, and uh, that I know is 
four generations of witches on both sides, my mother, mother and father. So uh, me and my sister, we were born into this family of folklore, witchcraft, uh, beliefs, uh, superstitions. We basically lived every single day according to it. Uh, it was just the way we believe. It wasn't magic for us. It was the way we live. So I was kind of grow up with uh, with all those things. And when I grew up and I started being interested in other uh, traditions and religions and uh, I study on a lot of other things, but that something else that fascinates me is uh, Hishian voodoo in which I become high priestess uh, in this tradition or religion, official religion of Haiti, and is very much similar to Slavic witchcraft in in in, in many ways. In many ways. Now, now you obviously now live in the states. Um, so, how was it for you, kind of transferring your beliefs and and traditions across to that country when you moved? Uh, I was uh, raised in the state of Ukraine today, but I left when I was 18 years old to Greece. So I lived for over 14 years on the island called Rhodes in Greece. And after that, I I was keep moving. <laughs> I should be gypsy in my previous life, probably, because I just like to keep moving. <laughs> so uh, I came to States in 2010, and it, it wasn't it wasn't transformation for me because I don't know. I just probably attract people to me that uh, share my vision or just don't mind. But I never had problem with it. I think the energy you carry, you attract people with the similar energies. I believe so. So my husband, he's a he's a Native American, and he believes in the in the energies, in the spirits, in the magic, in the magical world, and all around it. So we 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 fine. <laughs> <laughs> now you say that you you were obviously born into this um, into these practices and traditions so in many ways as folklore and stories were were always passed on uh, person to person orally across time um how was the knowledge that you now have given to you uh when we was uh, when we was uh, children and born when we were raised by our mothers and grandmothers for us, it was, we didn't know any different. I mean, for us, like when my mother, when, when I did my first seance and we call upon that person that commits suicide, I was seven years old. So for me, it was, it was fun. We, we see it as a game, as, a, as it's supposed to be. There is no other way to leave it. Or when, let's say, like after the sun goes down, we could not sell anything because my mother, my, my parents, they have big farm. Uh, they have cows, goats, and all that stuff. So my mother sell uh, cheese, milk. So when sun goes down, you can't sell anything out uh, of household or you cannot take garbage outside because it was bad luck. So we were, we knew all that. We were born into it. It, 
it, it was life for us. We didn't know anything else. It was, it was normal. It's how it's supposed to be. Later on, when I, uh, when I left my home and I see that there are different things and people don't believe in that, I mean, that's fine, but I, I keep, I keep my line, my, my my family line, and I keep doing things that I learn in my life. It's like uh, that's the way I know. So you were taught by your by your mother and your grandmother um, the different rituals or practices that you use in your day to day life. Yes, correct. Because we lived in a very rural village with dense forest and lakes and farm and uh, witchcraft. It, it was to be a witch. In this place, it was okay. It was fine. It is. It was normal. Now, I just want to pick up on something you said earlier, which is really interesting. You said that um, you took part in your first seance when you were seven. Now, um, that's a very young age to to people who are brought up in in uh, the Western world, perhaps uh, where where people are taught that. Um, you know, seances and Ouija boards and things like that are so wrong. And especially for children, there's a very big stigma attached to that. Uh, I guess it's very different within the Slavic traditions. I think that's because uh, my family, they didn't see it as um, as a treat or as something non-ordinary or as something dangerous like uh, other will try to show you that, oh, you can do that because it's so dangerous. Uh, I don't think that exists. And some people asking me about karma, uh, which I don't believe in that. And I don't know why the karma is theism, first of all, is it contradicts the whole thing about witchcraft. But uh, yeah, or when people say demons uh, for for gods, and I don't know what demon mean, and I don't want to know because that's not the true. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, seance for us, let's say for all these uh, Christian holy days, when they, like Christmas or Easter, uh, we, we, we did divinations, we did uh, rituals, basically, for divination, or some kind of rituals, which it was kept from the pagan time. But we still kept them in the family. For for us, that, like, do seance, it was like, part of this fun, you know, when Christmas coming, like me and my sister, we did all divinations, who will get married, how will the name of your husband, how many kids will you have, and we did different kind of divinations, we could call upon the spirit in the mirror, when you lock by yourself in the dark room, you hold the candle and you keep the name of the spirit and call in the mirror, so that was fun for us, that was something that we look forward to it, you know, because this is the game you play with your parents and it's so fun. <laughs> and and a lot of that actually resonates with, with kind of uh, the older traditions of witchcraft, I, I guess, um, over here as well. The, a lot of that divination sounds very similar. Um, I was writing a newspaper column actually today and talking about divination at Halloween. Um, and one of those was, was um, sitting in front of the mirror, brushing your hair whilst eating an apple. Uh, and when you finish eating the apple, then you see uh, your, in, mm-hmm. your, your intended over your shoulder in the mirror. So are there, <laughs> are there lots of similarities between uh, Slavic witchcraft practices and those that we have in traditional witchcraft over here? I believe that uh, 
the witchcraft, the practical part of it, uh, is similar everywhere. It can be England, it can be Russia, it can be United States, it can be Haiti or Africa. Because let's say you do in witchcraft the practical part of it, you do this divination. Let's say I'm going to to do some love spell. Let's call it like that. So I put uh, like two branches together, I tie them, or I cut the apple in the middle, I put the picture inside, I tie the apple. But the same thing, because this is folk magic, you, you work your creativity, you, you create your own spell, you create your own witchcraft. So if somebody like, uh, somebody on other part of the world can do the same thing. I mean, when I came to Haiti and I became a priestess, I started learning about the practical part of it, the witchcraft part of it. So I say that my mother, she used the human skin to keep husband, uh, not, uh, to, 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 the violent husband, to keep him under control, to keep him down, cool, and nice to his wife. Like human skin, uh, somebody asked me, oh, my God, where would you get the human skin? And I say, my mother used the human skin from your, uh, from your heel, from your feet. You know, the dry skin we have yes. on our feet? Yeah. So you can uh, crush the skin and use the skin for uh, make a potion for your husband. So keep him under heel in other world. But the same thing they use in voodoo. What coincidence, right? Yes, yes. So there's lots of similarities there. Um, and again, I guess there are differences as well. So what are the main differences with the Slavic traditions over um, others? Uh, Slavic, I believe, with Christianity over the years, it keeps changes. Uh, in some rural areas of Russia and Ukraine, uh, some people and families, they keep those traditions, the, the old witchcraft, old world. But other people, they, the Christianity influence, uh, it has a huge influence over the witchcraft. So people start mixing um, kind of like in, in my second book, uh, Russian Black Magic, that it will be, you will see that is more mixed with Christianity because now witchcraft, it depends on the Christianity. It's like foundation because since pagan times where we had all those gods of the water, of the wind, with Christianity, they become demons. So people who didn't want to accept this uh, Jesus Christ and the only God, the only right God, <laughs> so they start worship those demons, which they were worshiping always those gods, but they become demons. So they, it's, it's like, you know, your enemy will become my friend. So explain a little bit about the old faith, about those pre-Christian beliefs. How was that structured? Uh, pagan. I think uh, these pagan beliefs, they are very, very similar with... Uh, with Sweden, with Finland, with England probably as well, uh, but we're close to the Finland part in Sweden, so I think this is just alike. When we have, we still have and celebrate all these pagan uh, holidays like Kupala Day, when we jump over the fire, when we we dance, we we make all kinds of divinations. We're looking for this flower in the forest. Uh, you're looking for a husband. Is um, A lot of those of the 
traditions they still today and we still celebrate them. Now, a large part of your your book uh, looks at spells and charms within the Slavic traditions. Um, tell us a little bit about how those are constructed. Um, do they stay fairly stable or do you think that these spells and charms have changed over time from from the older practices through to the modern day, for example? Yes, I I believe that spells is something personal. Uh, personally, my belief is if somebody uh, practicing witchcraft, uh, those people, they don't need book of spells because uh, to me, in words to understand, is like uh, take someone's uh, underwear and wear it, you know, use underwear. So spells is uh, is very personal, and when you practice on witchcraft, and let's say you have a case to work on, you know what you're going to use and how you're going to use. You can get an idea from those books and from those spells as a foundation, but you but you should create it yourself. Okay, yes, so so they are a very personal thing. Um, now, when you're working with these sorts of things, with the spells and charms, I guess, um, if in these traditional practices, and I think I think this is also the same in in other uh, in other countries as well, um, you need that sort of power um, to be able to perform those spells and charms. Tell us a little bit about about how you derive magical power within your particular uh, tradition? Uh, everyone has the ability to do the spiritual work. I call it spiritual work or magic, let's say. Everyone has ability, but not everyone can... I'm writing in my book about how to... Uh, to, to to make a spell, you need to focus. You need to concentrate. You need to you need to see it, visual, visualize it. You need to feel it, and that's where you work. And so, uh, just uh, in my family belief, and I explain in my third book. I'm working on my third book, which is uh, how is to be being born into a family of witches. We believe that men cannot be a witch. Because men simply, because of the testosterone, men cannot feel the, the, the focus and feel as a female do. So you, you need to focus your energy, you need to concentrate. And in my books, there is a quiet beat, especially my first book on chapter five, there is step-by-step step how to start making your own spells and how to start working, uh, how you can make it happen. Because everyone can do it, just not everyone can go and uh, meditate over over your work or focus or think strong enough. Are, are these practices within Slavic witchcraft very much connected with the kind of natural side of things? Is it a nature religion in the same way as some other traditional witchcraft practices are? Yes, in, in Slavic witchcraft we actually... Uh, Personify, how personalize, personify. Like, uh, let's say the, the spirit of the wind. We see it not as a spirit, as a, as a human being. Let's say we, we call it a father, 
the spirit of the wind. So we can talk to the spirit of the wind, call him by the name, and ask him things. So uh, the, the spirit of the water, the spirit of the river, we, we can talk as to a mother or the mother uh, of, of soil or earth. Um, this is this is not something uh, like an item for for us. This is something as, uh, like, like a person, like a like a, pa- a parents. We don't worship them; we honor them. Yes, nature is is one hundred percent and is the whole part of it. is is the main part of it. And is it's it all- the foundation? Okay, and and is it also uh, does it tend to be a solitary practice rather than being a group? practice yeah we, we never believe that in group practice uh, which uh, old way witchcraft is uh, is a is a solo is a solo thing that's why witches were always by themselves that, that i think organized witchcraft is something a new age and it's stylish and it's cool things to do but that's not how it is. I mean, if you want to really find a witch right now, if you're going to some countryside, very rural area, you won't be find, you won't be able to find a witch. You will have to stay and ask locals, and maybe some of the locals will say that their witch live at the last house of this village because those witches they don't they don't advertise, they don't uh, they they don't do organized witchcraft. There is no such a thing. I mean. Uh, usually they keep it in the family, and if you need balance, if you need balance like with uh, male, if you need to perform some ritual, right, and you need male energy, you use your husband, or you use, uh, because witches, they usually have female daughters, so they use usually husband for help them, but you never take your secrets or your tradition to somebody else's family. This is kept in secret, and usually those witches they give from generation to generation, from mouth to mouth. Which is exactly how you learned as well, I guess, growing up in that way. Correct, yes. So tell me a little bit about the image of the Slavic witch. Thinking from a folklore perspective, for example, um, thinking about kind of well-known images within Russian folklore, say you would have Baba Yaga as as an example um, of um, a symbolic form of, of a witch within that culture. Um, do Slavic witches feature strongly in folklore and how are they seen if they do? Well, there are different kinds of witches. You can see something like Baba Yaga... <laughs> Or you can see just somebody like me, and you won't even know who this person is. It depends on the area that witch lives at and what she most practicing. Because uh, let's say my grandma, which my father's mother, she was pretty bad witch. Uh, she, she was very bad. So just looking at her, you could understand that she's a witch, and people sometimes even change uh, change the way they're walking by her or just turn back or afraid to look at her because that's the way she was looking. Uh, but my mother, you never could say that she was a witch. My mother did most of, let's call it, black, uh, white magic, white magic, I'm sorry. So she most did like healing or protective women from violent men or to to help people with uh, choose the best animal, to predict the future, to 
cure sickness and stuff like that. So it, it depends. I guess it depends what you're practicing and which part you live at. So there isn't a kind of traditional image of a witch within that culture then particularly? Right, right, right. Like in Polish, let's say in Polish or Slavic villages, you can see again something like Baba Yaga. <laughs> As if it's rural, rural area, they, they don't have TVs, they don't have waters, they don't have, they don't have toilets inside in their homes. I mean, they, they simply dress whatever they have, and if they practice in witchcraft, they, they look just like... <laughs> Now, now, one of the most interesting aspects of your book that, for me, I, I think, was was the section towards the end uh, after you've talked about spells and charms and all those um, all those parts of of your work. Um, you move on to talk about um, the traditions uh, and superstitions associated with death and with with the cemetery in the Slavic culture. And I thought this was a really interesting aspect. So I wanted to have a little look at that, if you don't mind. Can you explain a little bit about the um, afterlife beliefs within the Slavic tradition? Uh, Afterlife. We believe that uh, people are always there, even after, after, after death. The body, spirit that attached to the body for some time, we believe that uh, the spirit stays with us, completely with us, just uh, like part of our family for up to one year. And after one year, uh, spirit leaving, but they are always there because we always communicate with them. My family was always communicating with their relatives, and I still communicating with my mother. She passed out, and my father as well. So uh, whenever I need them, I just I can contact to them. So my belief that uh, I know where they are. I know that they are there. I know that they are waiting for me, and I know I will be with them at some point. And I be honest, look forward to it. So uh, my point is that at this point, I just don't afraid to die because I know that there is uh, kind of uh, to some people it will be like fifth dimension thing. Uh, there is another world where we get united again. But uh, that in 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 Russia we celebrate that because we consider this is freedom is like you you, you like graduated like you and your body uh, because it's like a stage of that you need to go through and after that you celebrate the freedom. That's why we we always go into cemeteries. We bring food with us. We celebrate. We drink. We sing. We dance. On the cemetery, somebody will take that is blasphemy. Or, but this is celebration of the date of graduation. <laughs> and that's not unusual either, is it? There are a few cultures where, where death is certainly celebrated um, uh, and also the kind of ritualistic revisiting of, of anniversaries of death is a time of celebration as well. Um, the The graves themselves are interesting as well i think because they're they're constructed aren't they with often with these kind of roofs on the top which kind of which symbolize a house or a home yes we consider that this is now their home when you when you put this cross this is old way they don't do that anymore maybe in some rural villages until today but yes we did that and it was considering that this is the new home of person that passed away uh, and 
thinking a little bit about um about the time of of death and burial do you have particular customs related to the the way that funerary practices or or mourning the dead is undertaken too no it's the same we just wear black clothes uh there is a lot of superstition during the process uh, for somebody who's practicing witchcraft and i talk about that in my book uh, the, you can you can collect some things to work with, or you can do some courses during the process. But the the process itself is is the, just like everywhere. You just wear the black clothes. But because person that you loved is 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 not in in the body with you, so everyone feels sad about that. But after that, you you understand that this is this is something to celebrate. Sure. So, um, and then, and then you have aspects of the um, magical practice then that are associated with the cemetery as well. Can you explain uh, the difference between active graves, for example, uh, and and non-active graves? Uh, yes, in Slavic and Russian witchcraft, we do practice at the cemeteries a lot, and this is a huge part of it. Uh, there was always it, it, even in pagans to going to 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 the underworld gods was always pre- preferable was and people always practicing this kind of things and this is which is similar with wood and that's what attracted me and wood as well because they working with dead people as well with dead souls so uh, the active graves the active graves are always graves uh, most of the time they are graves that are abandoned the grace that nobody taken care of them and we consider that the soul of this person that has nobody to to take care of to to talk to to it's like abandoned spirit so the spirit when you give attention to the spirit uh, he he become attached to you and you can make him to do things for you the things that you need also there is a lot of different ways to work just with Every kind of grace, but there are graves that are not active, which uh, the practitioner, and I talk about in my book, how to choose grave active or non-active. But most of the time you work with any kind of grace. You work with kids, you work with uh, killers, you work with suicide, you just work with everyone. It depends on your experience and how afraid you are. But if you're afraid, you should be in this place anyway. Yes, I, I guess so. Are, are there inherent dangers associated with particular types of magical working in the Slavic tradition? I believe, again, that this um, fear that they say that it will somehow harm you, that comes from the people that either they don't know what they're doing or they confuse that with some kind of Christianity. Because uh, in pagan days, again, they... They never be, was afraid to call upon the dark god or to call upon the dead spirit. I mean, it was practicing, it was part of their lives as well. There was, uh, I, I, I never was harmed by anyone. And I do a lot of my work in cemetery, my family did. And I, I don't believe that there's something that can harm you unless you don't know what you're doing. Of course, if you don't know what you're doing and you're going to cemetery, so dig a grave and do, doing some stuff, <laughs> you need to honor the dead. You, you can spit on the graves. You can do things uh, on the graves that you're not supposed to do. I mean, 
anything you're not supposed to do in this world today, nowadays, but you need to honor that the first thing, or you need to require, you, you can ask, you can worship that. You can, it's like, it's like a slave dictate what he wants, you know? It's, you can, you, you can, you can worship that. You, you, you need to be strong enough to, to require things, to be able to take those things, not, not beg for them. Sure, sure. And this, this is one of the reasons that I, I like doing these sorts of interviews and covering these sorts of angles is that there's, there's often a lot of misunderstanding between different practices and between different cultures as to, as to what is going on. And and I don't think um, it's anybody's place to necessarily judge one thing to be right over another or one thing to be dangerous over another. And part of what I like to try and do is just to give people like yourself the opportunity to present you know how you work and and what your traditions and practices are so that people who who don't know that much about it can can understand a little bit more about it um so tell me a little bit about how slavic witchcraft is viewed now in in the modern age as it is a very old and traditional practice how do people see it now uh Yes, like I mentioned before, I think like right now is in city, people in city, they are mixed more with uh, Christianity. So it's, they can read psalms, they can read going to church and doing some spells and like, it's like heresy kind of thing. And that's my second book about. Uh, but in rural villages, they're still doing uh, Pagan celebration, they're still uh, doing this old world witchcraft. Uh, that's a lot of people asking me, like, in my book, some of stuff is not possible to do because really, like, in downtown, and I'm saying that, well, guys, this is old world witchcraft. We didn't have the street lights, or we didn't have the sidewalks. We lived by the forest, and that's what old world witchcraft means. Uh, but nowadays, I, I believe it changed significantly, and it was influenced by the Christianity every day more. But I, I'm still happy that people still kept some some traditions from pagan times, like holidays, and they still on holidays, on church holidays, they do not celebrate church days; they celebrate pagan days. Yes, there is still a lot of crossover, isn't there? Generally, and, and certainly in some other traditional witchcraft practices, the the you know a by using the bible and using psalms and things like that um enhance the magic that's being performed rather than uh working against it or detracting from it is that true with your work as well it it can be it can be i do not like personally practice this kind of uh, magic that was my father's side the, my grandmother was practicing this kind of things so she was they could read uh bible and backwards uh, some prayers and stuff like that but i do like uh, work a little bit differently but uh, i practice it all i mean yes you can do that and nowadays is like i say is more influenced by christianity so nowadays is more like when you let's say you can uh, the spell for for example you can go outside stay in the middle of the field which is pagan ritual when you stay in the field and you talk to the 
four directions. You turn to the west and you talk to the wind, but you say the prayers like, I am, uh, some people can read like, I am the slave of the God in the name of the God, asking this, this, and that. So that's the huge influence of the Christianity. I wouldn't do that. Uh, personally, I don't consider my, 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 myself slave of the God, <laughs> but some people do. Most of the people today, I think they, yes, they, they do such a thing. But that's not old world witchcraft. That's not the, the way you... My family did it anyway, my mother's side. Okay. Do you practice your witchcraft for other people um, as a kind of operative business, for want of a better term. I mean, some people some people practice witchcraft for their own means, some to help other people in a charitable way. Um, there are lots of ways of doing it. Is there a particular way within the Slavic witchcraft traditions which is more common? Um... I'm practicing witchcraft full-time. I'm a witch full-time. <laughs> yes, I do offer my services to people. Since I was raised, born, raised, grow up, uh, I didn't know anything more than that. Uh, this is who I am. So when I came out f f from my uh, house and I meet the world out there, that's the only thing I knew how to do, do it perfectly. So I kept practicing for other people. And I don't know, until today, for all those years, I'm 40 years old, but this is the thing I always did and always do. I didn't, I didn't try to keep it that way. It, it just happened that way. I believe that people who, uh, who is born this way, who is ancestral, ancestral uh, witches, they just kind of, that, that's their life. That's how you live your life. I do offer service to people from all around the world. I work with people all around the world. Uh, of course, uh, I charge for it because you don't do miracles and jump in or have magical uh, stick in your hands to, to, to fix some problem. You use supplies, you use time, you use your energy, you put aside your family, your kids, everything you do because you need to focus on this specific person's problem to fix it. So, of course, you will ask for exchange. Uh, that back in my days when I was a kid, that could be animal, food, money, jewelry, uh, some work, like uh, do something on, on, on the yard. People pay with everything they, they could afford. But nowadays, we, that most of the time is money, of course. So. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's the same in... You know, with any skill, isn't it? If if you're providing a skill to somebody else, then it is only fair that that skill is rewarded in in what people consider to be the correct way, whether that's financially or otherwise. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um. So, do a lot of people still seek help from people like yourself? Is it is it still quite a a, a flurrying a flourishing tradition? Yes, and I believe that uh, lately people uh, keep coming more. Uh, people maybe become more disappointment, disappointed in, uh, in Christianity 
because people do realize that Christianity, basically, you do not have free will. That's why they advertise. People just uh, start thinking a little bit more and become less sheep. <laughs> uh, yes, a lot of people, a lot of people, they are interested. It sounds like we're going back to our roots, which is which is nice. It's nice to see because people start remembering where they come from and people start respecting looking in the mirror and remembering how they are they are here today. Uh, there was ancestors. Uh, they respect their roots. And this is always nice to see. Absolutely. And, it, and it's like, like all of these traditional practices and, and customs and beliefs, it, it's good to see that they, that they are still continuing and that they change and adapt uh, as, as the world around us changes, isn't it? Yes, yes. I have people, I provide actually services for uh, people that want to learn witchcraft, want to learn how to become a witch or take their uh, experience to the next level. So I offer one-on-one personal uh, training intensive with me at my home, at my grounds. Uh, So I have people that come in for me with PhD, people that are professors at University of Art or of Anthropology, uh, people that um, you will never believe that scientists, uh, the, the, the one person that I have, he's an engineer, uh, work for the NASA. So uh, those people, they, they, they are atheists, most of them, you will think, right? But no, I have, I have people like that come and try to, to learn, try to dig to, into it. And that's really good. It's, it's good that the knowledge is still being passed on in that way, isn't it? Uh, Natasha, thank you so much for taking. Yes. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us uh, today. It's been really interesting to to have a little look at, at some of the uh, similarities and the differences between uh, the practices and and the traditions that you follow and those over here. Um, your book, Slavic Witchcraft, uh, is published by Destiny Books uh, and is a great read and a a really uh, important, I think, repository of a lot of these spells and and charms and and practices uh that you use and that you follow if people are interested in getting hold of a copy of your book where should they go to get one uh just everywhere where books sold <laughs> perfect so for, go to your own bookshop locally and order it there or if you are not able to do that then you can get it online do visit the guests page on the folklore podcast website where i will put links to natasha's book uh, and also to her website where you'll be able to to find out a bit more uh, natasha that was brilliant thank you so much for coming on thank you mark thank you have a good day thank you thank you for joining us on the folklore podcast to listen to that interview from natasha helvin on slavic witchcraft do visit as i said before the guests page on the folklore podcast website to find out more details about natasha and her work and you'll soon also be able to see a review of her book Slavic Witchcraft on the website too. In the next episode of the podcast, I'll be speaking to storyteller and author Anna Chalton about her work collecting and publishing traditional folk tales from Cornwall. Until then, thanks for listening. The Folklore Podcast is written and presented by me, Mark Norman. To find out more about my research and writing, visit www.facebook.com slash MarkNormanFolklore or on Twitter with the handle at Mr underscore Mark 
underscore Norman. Research assistance is provided by Tracy Norman. Visit her website at www.tracynormanswitch.com to follow her historical research and projects. The Folklore Podcast will always be free to listen to and tries to avoid annoying advertising or sponsorship messages, but it cannot sustain itself. We are grateful for the support of all of our patrons who, for as little as $1 a month, earn themselves great rewards whilst ensuring our future. For more details, please visit www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast. If you cannot support us in this way, please share the episodes on your social media and leave positive reviews. This really helps the audience for the podcast to grow. Visit www.thefolklorepodcast.com for more episode and guest information, to buy from the web store, or to sign up for free newsletters or get in touch. The Folklore Podcast theme music was written and performed by Gurdy Bird. Thanks for listening.